0: Okay, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to our College Sports Communicators live webinar. We are pleased to offer this session on working with men's lacrosse statistics, stat rules, and producing accurate statistics. Thanks again for joining us on this important uh, discussion as we look at ways to assist CSC members in all areas of working with men's lacrosse statistics and rules. Our presenters today are leaders in college lacrosse communications and statistics, and they are here to offer their insight and expertise First and foremost, I wanna emphasize at any time, please ask questions in the Q&A. I can't emphasize that enough. Um, the Q&A function is live and we'll be going to that frequently uh, over the next hour. For those of you that I don't know, my name is Ernie Larasa. I am the Director of Athletic Communications at Johns Hopkins. This is my 27th year at Hopkins and I've worked with our men's lacrosse program uh, throughout my time uh, here at Hopkins and I will serve as the moderator this afternoon. Uh, as a reminder, we are recording this webinar Um, And later on this afternoon on the CSC website and YouTube page, you can watch uh, this as an on-demand option. um, And we ask you to please share this with any of your colleagues uh, that could not attend live. Uh, If you have a way to communicate with them right now and you wanna let them know that we've started, please uh, feel free to do so. So we have a lot to cover and we'd like to get started. Again, thank you for taking the time to join us. Uh, I wanna introduce uh, our panelists today. Uh, we have three people with us uh, that are going to be here to answer all of your questions and provide some insight. First is John Stark. He is Assistant Director of Athletic Communications at Syracuse. Uh, he's in his 20th season of college lacrosse, including his 16th as an SID. He was a four year player. Fun fact about John, he has run at least one mile every day for 2,231 consecutive days. Uh, John, thanks so much for being with us today. Uh, Stacy Michaud. Thank you. Yep, Stacy Michaud is the Assistant Athletic Director for Sports Information at the United States Naval Academy. She is her 26th year at Navy and has worked with the men's lacrosse program since arriving there uh, in Annapolis. Fun fact about Stacy, she hails from the lacrosse hotbed of Iowa. Jerry Price is the Senior Writer and Historian at Princeton and has worked with the men's lacrosse program there since 1990. So this is Jerry's 35th year of Tiger lacrosse. He has been the head statistician at men's lacrosse championship weekend on Memorial Day weekend since 2005. Fun fact about Jerry, Jerry is an accomplished author and published, has published two books, um, We'll let you know that Ryan Eigenbrode from Loyola, Maryland was supposed to be on this panel, um, but Ryan um, is sick today, so he uh, is unable to join us. So um, these are lacrosse experts. Uh, What we're going to do is we're going to run through a lot of different areas and a lot of the stats that you keep in men's lacrosse. First and foremost, I want to emphasize men's and women's lacrosse are different. They are not statted the same way in many instances. I believe a a webinar like this will be following uh, in the near future for the women. And I encourage you, if you have men's and women's across and you are new to the sport, to please uh, log on to that one as well, uh, as you'll notice some some pretty distinct differences in, in the way some things uh, are kept. So what we're going to roll through, we're going to hit some topics. There's a and a chat room. I really, really encourage all of you to, um, to use that to communicate with us so we can um, hit a lot of your questions during the course of this time. Um, but we'll roll through some topics we think are important, and we will uh, we will go from there. So the first thing we want to talk about, and if you've uh, if you've done some of these webinars that are on the CSC website in other sports, uh, you know, first thing we want to talk about is pregame prep. So uh, how do you prepare to host a lacrosse game uh, as a host sports information director? So if we can just go through and and Stacy John and and Jerry will ask you, uh, just let us know um, the things that people should be aware of as they prepare to host a game. So Stacy, um, you know, we'll start with you.
1: Sure. Thank you. Um, thanks for everybody for hopping on. Um, We did something like this last year and seemed well-received. Before I hop right into maybe some things to be prepared for, um, I am from Iowa. Um, I had seen one men's lacrosse game in person prior to coming here, Um, so I knew nothing. And I know that there are a lot of you out there that are probably in that same situation unless you were – um, brought up in the, the Northeast, you probably have not seen Lacrosse or maybe you've seen some of it, but you don't know um, really what you're what you're doing right now. It's okay. Um, I relied on Jerry Price. I relied on Ernie. I relied on some some different folks that have moved up um, in athletics over the years that um, were great resources for me. Use us. Do not be afraid. Last year, we had a bunch of people that um, reached out to each one of us with, you know, uh, any and all questions. No question, as you as they say, you know, the only dumb question is the one that's not asked. So please, please, please use us. We're happy to help. Um, never in my wildest dreams that I think that I would be, you know, a panelist uh, talking about lacrosse back in the day, but um, it's a great sport and we're willing to help. So that's first and foremost. Um, In terms of game preparation, um, all that fun type of stuff, we play at our football stadium. We're really lucky in that we have a great facility, Um, but because we play in our football stadium, which is a 34,000 seat facility, we are far away from the scores table from you know the the sidelines. So first thing, make sure you have communication walkie talkies. You have somebody at the table that you know can call up penalties, is counting down the penalty time. Whether you have it on, um, if you have a facility where you can put it on the video board, great. But you still need somebody down there to make sure that you're releasing the person um, in proper time and and also giving the information up to your SIDs that are, are keeping track. But um, we are lucky. Um, we, we have plenty of people to help. We have an inputter. Um, there's myself as the lead caller, and we have another person there as well to, you know, hectic plays happen you know, and you need somebody, a player's turned kind of a funky way and you need another set of eyes, but you can't just stop, you know, so it's nice to have another person in cases where, you know, you can't see a number, so you put a placeholder in and just say team and you continue to call and that secondary um, caller or helper can, look and see what that number is and be able to come back when you have a moment of downtime to be able to replace that team, um, with an actual uh, player number. So, um, I guess I'll I'll pass it off. I don't want to hog up everybody's time, but, um, we all have, we all have different situations. I understand we're not all playing at a football stadium. Um, when I first started here, we were on a card table sitting right behind the the uh, box. So you can do it no matter the situation, um, and we're all here to help you.
0: Yeah, so let's go to a little bit of a smaller facility. We'll go instead of John, we'll go to Jerry real quick. Jerry, you're uh, you're playing in a little bit of a smaller setup than a football stadium, a little bit more like Homewood here at Hopkins. So tell us a little bit about your setup, your crew, and how you manage game day from a stat standpoint.
2: Yeah, so we have a very small facility. It's uh, 2,500 seats. It's lacrosse only. Uh, We have a tiny press box. It's smaller than your average high school uh, press box. We have three people on our stack crew. We have one person who enters. We have one person who calls, usually I'm the person who calls. And then we have one person who watches the video stream of the game. And that person is in charge of looking at either replays or just rewinding it. To see if we missed something, so things happen, can happen quickly. It, if you, in most games, on all levels, have some sort of video streaming. So if you can have the stream going live in your press box and somebody who's assigned to watch it, because your tendency is, uh, all right, well, was that number eleven or number seventeen? And as you're looking at that, the play has continued and you've missed two other things. So then, when you have somebody who can do the replay, they can go back and say, yeah, that was number seventeen, or that shot hit the post or the goalie didn't get a piece of that or whatever. And then you can go back and catch up later. So for us, it's three people plus a fourth person who's doing social media, but that's not really part of the stat crew. Uh, it's three people, somebody who enters, somebody who calls, and somebody's looking at the replay.
0: John, anything different you want to order? Uh, offer? I know at Syracuse, um, sports no bigger anywhere in the country than it is at Syracuse. And and when we go there, I know uh, I don't have to worry about a thing. You have a great crew and, and they're all trained well.
3: Yeah, I think we're lucky in that we have that ability to have a stack group dedicated. So an input or a caller in a second spotter, if, if we have somebody, um, and participation too, I think it's a big one. Cause as we know, just because you get into the game and you don't generate a stat, you're not going to get that participation. So often we have students, um, definitely doing ours and the opponent. And if the opposing SID is there, they know their teams better than anybody else. Um, the mark participation when somebody gets into the game it may not generate a stat um that that is definitely the big one it saves a ton of emails on monday or kid coming up to you after like hey you know i played how come i didn't get credit for this game you know it saves saves there so if you can um definitely three three places to you know focus on your stack crew and like jerry said if you have that stream that helps so much and you know Building in that placeholder, like Stacey said, I think that's so big. Like, Just get to the next play. Like, You go shot, save, ground ball, shot, goal. Trying to get that second ground ball in there is important if you can just get the placeholder and move on and then come back to it. I think that's that's super helpful. And print the stat manual. I see Stacey's got hers uh, printed there as well. So learn the rules. There's a ton of great situations in there and, and some different things. And having that with you on game day And knowing how things are going to get scored is going to be super important. I would agree.
0: Definitely take some time to review that, especially if you handle men's and women's across, because again, they are scored differently in some situations. And, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for me to email John or Stacy or Jerry on a Saturday during a game or text them or after a game, like there are times where there are just things that happen and I'm like, how would you have done this? This is what we did. So don't ever be afraid to do that. Uh, before, during, uh, during a game. So I wanted to talk a little bit about, um, some of the basics and I will say we're going to, I think all of us use stack crew and Presto offers a, a lacrosse scoring option. We're not going to go in depth on, uh, how you actually score things in the programs. There are a couple instances where I think we will touch on them because it does affect how the game actually, uh, how it is statted. Um, but they are different. Um, I will say that genius is coming. I don't know when, but uh, hopefully we can all see that uh, sooner rather than later so that we can all go to a uniform program uh, in the near future. Um, Wanted to talk a little bit about uh, rules. Um, There are a couple of rule changes this year. And and as uh, some of us know, Jerry is actually a member of the NCAA Men's Across Rules Committee. So Jerry, if you want to hit on a couple of things this year that are new, I know that the the helmet off situation is probably going to catch a lot of our 178 participants as of right now uh, by surprise. So if you want to touch on that, that would be great.
2: Sure. Um so the first thing i would say is if you're if you're new to lacrosse go through the rule book and get a sense of what you know what the rules are and it helps you stat if you know what to expect. As far as this year is concerned, it, uh, rules are done in two-year cycles. This was not a change year for uh rules, but we were able to make two changes based on uh player safety. One of them is If the helmet comes off of a player, the whistle will blow immediately. If the player is on offense, whoever the player is whose helmet came off has to leave the field within 20 seconds, and play will restart after 20 seconds. So this is not a quick restart. It's not like a a loose ball push. You pick up the ball, and you start going the other way. It's a 20-second count by the officials, so both teams will have a chance to be set before the game starts again. If the if the offensive player loses his helmet, it's a change of possession. If the ball is loose when the helmet comes off, then the player whose helmet came off, the other team gets possession. And if the defense's helmet comes off, it's a 30-second uh, time-serving penalty. To enter that penalty, uh, there is no code in Stat Crew, and I'm not sure about Presto either, but in Stat Crew, there's no your helmet came off code, so you can just call it illegal equipment. Um, or delay of game, one of those. Uh, the whole point is that helmets don't come off if they're properly strapped on. Players have gotten a little loose with that, and helmets are coming off all over the place, so it's a player safety thing to try to prevent players from having their helmet come off. The, uh, if that happens on a face-off, it is, does not count as a face-off violation, so at least it doesn't yet. Uh, we're going to review that as the season goes along. But for now, it, you can't have a face-off violation due to a helmet coming off. Um, and uh, if the helmet comes off as the result of illegal contact from the other team, then the player's helmet came off has to leave the field until the next uh, dead ball. But that is not a violation or a penalty on them because the illegal contact penalty will supersede that. They're not even uh, simultaneous penalty. So if you get... Uh, hit and the officials and your helmet comes off and the official throws a flag for uh, illegal body check unnecessary roughness whatever the call is then that penalty will stand the player's helmet came off does not get penalized but does have to leave the field the other is replay uh, replay has existed in a very small form in the NCAA Division One championships and that's it it's been expanded to include any regular season game now the technology differs greatly between uh, all levels of lacrosse. Uh, not every conference, not every school is going to be using replay. In fact, I would guess that the majority will not be using it. If you are using replay, the main thing you have to keep in mind in statting is replay can be used uh, in two circumstances. One is something to do with play around the crease and goals. These are uh, situations where a coach can challenge. They have two challenges for the game. If you challenge one per half, if you challenge and you lose, you lose a timeout. So, coaches are going to be a little hesitant to challenge because they don't want to lose their timeouts. Then, um, play will continue if there's no goal or there's no call of in the crease. Play is now continued the other way. The coach has 30 seconds to challenge the play. If the coach challenges it and review happens and the, uh, the the, play, the call on the field is overturned, then none of the stats that happened after that count. Even if it's a goal, no matter what it is, all those stats come off and you go back to the point where uh, the play was incorrectly called and only those stats count. There is only one exception to that. If there's a flag down, a coach's challenge flag on the field, play continues, and there's a penalty called, that penalty will stand. So if there's an unnecessary roughness or any kind of penalty like that, that play will stand even if the uh, call on the field is overturned. So that is the uh, um, that's the rule. The question is, uh, leaves the field until the next dead ball. Who adjudicates that? The officials do. So what's going to happen is the the officials are going to blow the whistle. Uh, player's going to leave the field. It has twenty seconds to get off the field. Both teams are now set. They'll play the they'll replay the whistle to start play. Will go, and then if the ball goes out of bounds or if there's a violation or anything that Forces the whistle to blow at that point. The player is allowed to come back onto the field. And as far as your involvement in replay, it should be minimal. It should fall to uh, it should fall to the officials and to the uh, multimedia people. But uh, you know, we're all gonna we're all gonna get dragged into that at some point. So uh, be aware of the rules. Be aware of what's challengeable and not challengeable. And uh, you know, if you have any questions, feel free to ask.
0: Yeah, I also, certainly feel like feel free to ask um, certainly feel like that's a, a small group of people like Jerry said that will probably do that this year. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, but observing it from afar and learning from how it is managed uh, in those situations where it does take place is, is good. Jerry, one question for you that I have because we've talked about that situation with the helmet off the turnover who gets the turnover is it a personal turnover? Or are we going to score that as a team turnover? Helmet comes off. I don't think we made a determination for that.
2: So this would be the same as any other piece of equipment that comes off. Okay. Um, that the if you are not allowed to play without your equipment. In other situations where equipment comes off, you have the choice to continue to play, which is a violation, or simply turn and run off the field. If you continue to play and it's a violation and you're on offense, then you're the one charged with the turnover. So the player's helmet came off would get charged with the turnover. And the question is, can I repeat what happens on a loose ball if a player's helmet comes off? If the players if the ball is loose and the helmet comes off, the team whose helmet came off, the other team will have possession. So if that team was on defense, then it's a turnover if that team if the team who loses their helmet was on offense, then the de- that that would be a turnover, but it would not be a time serving penalty. And if the team on defense loses their helmet uh, while the ball is loose, then that is nothing. It's just continuation of the uh, possession for the offense. But the one thing it would do is it would reset the shot clock to 60 if it was 60 or under, or 80 if it was between 80 and 60.
0: Okay. Great. Well, thanks for going through that, Jerry. I appreciate all of your efforts on the rules committee. I know it's uh it's great to have an ally there uh that looks at things like we we may look at them in game while we're scoring. So I see a, a question popping in. So we're gonna we're gonna hold a couple of those, but we're gonna go through our list here. Um uh, and it's a great question, but I think there's a point in this discussion where we're we're gonna hit a little bit on that. So we're gonna start off like pregame. So we're gonna talk about starters and participation. Um, and Stacy loves this topic, so we we're gonna let Stacy take the lead on who the official starter are in a men's across games, game stace
1: i absolutely will one thing i will say we um i know not everybody is utilizing um the whole replay situation but we are one school that um, plans to utilize it for conference and non-conference we've already had a request from one of the officials to have our people that are handling the replay come down and just have a conversation with them um, about 45 minutes before the game. So that might be something that you pass on to your video review folks. Um, for those of you that are planning on doing that, um, probably a good thing for this year since it's going to be hit or miss across, across the board. So um, as for starters, yes, my favorite subject, um, contrary to what most coaches believe, Um, It is not, your starters are not the people that are actually on the field for that first face-off. It's a little bit, I I liken it to football. Your starters are not your kickoff team or uh, whatever. It's uh, your starters in terms of your three starting attackmen, your first offensive midfield, not face-off midfield, offensive midfielders your three close defensemen and your goalkeeper. It doesn't include your face-off guy, your short stick defensive midfielder. You have two of them, you know, whatever. It is super simple, three attack, three offensive midfielders, three close defensemen, and your goalkeeper. Super easy. Um, There are a lot of coaches that prefer that it be your face-off midfield. You can announce whatever your heart desires at your game, but for stat-keeping purposes, so we can have it the same across the board, please use that lineup, again, your offensive guys as your starters. Um, Participation. uh, John kind of mentioned it too, if you have an extra person that can keep participation. That's the best way to do it. If a visiting SID is there, just ask them. I'm sure that they will be more than happy to keep it. Um, do not try and keep it on the fly. I've seen a lot of people ask questions over the years about subs. I could not even imagine that that would be wild, crazy. And you would probably miss about 10 goals along the way. So don't worry about trying to sub people in and out of the game. Um, just mark them down keep a roster you know cross them off circle them do whatever as they come in and once they're in you know you know that they have um entered the game um one thing too that um for those of you that don't keep stats directly on the field and you're maybe elevated like we are up in the press box um, excuse me if you could have the person that calls up your penalties let you know when there's a goalkeeper change that's an easy one to miss um I'd also try and keep an eye on that between quarters um that's also a good time that they will a coach will make a change and it's an it's an easy time that you might miss someone um so if if the person that's in your box that's doing penalties can also help you keep an eye on that. That would be uh, super helpful.
0: Yeah, I think participation is an underrated thing that people don't pay attention to enough. But we should be trying as host SIDs uh, to to try and maintain that to the best of our ability, not just for our team but for the visiting team. I know it's difficult. Um, you know, we're a Division three school with a Division one sport, so I I know the Division three world where there is sometimes one person doing stats for a lacrosse game, which it is challenging enough and participation in that situation probably needs to be the last thing you're, you're tracking. Um, but certainly you should be trying to do it. Um, if at all, if at all possible. Um, We're going to transition now to to face-offs and talk a little bit about those, and we'll have Jerry kind of lead us through a little bit of a discussion there, and then we're going to start hitting some of these questions that we've received in the chat and the Q&A and keep those coming. Um, Really appreciate people who are chiming in with those. Jerry?
2: So every face-off in men's lacrosse has a winner and a loser, Um, and if you're doing men's lacrosse and women's lacrosse, this is one of the places where it's radically different, so don't apply anything between the two sports. There's a winner and a loser of the face-off. So you'll enter the two people who are at the face-off X, and then you enter the ground ball for the person who gains possession. Not every face-off will have a ground ball. There can be a face-off where there's a violation. Um, there could be a face-off where uh, the ball goes out of play without anybody getting possession. So you don't have to have a ground ball on every face-off. Uh, the winner of the face-off is entered and he will get credited for a face-off win. The other player will get credited for a face-off loss. And then there's a ground ball that will be given if the ball is picked up by somebody. This is one of the only situations where you can have an uncontested uh, ground ball count as a ground ball. For instance, if if there's a man-up face-off or just a face-off in general, and the face-off person controls it to one side where there's only one player on his team and there's nobody within... 20 yards of him he still gets the ground ball for picking it up in that situation Um, so statting faceoffs are fairly easy you get two faceoff violations that don't result in a penalty the third one results in a time serving penalty and each one after that that's per half so if I take the first two faceoffs and I'm called for violations and then Ernie takes the third one and he's called for a violation it still counts as a, a team violation they're not counting individual violations that penalty is entered as a delay a game penalty and it is awarded. Uh, it's, it's you enter it for the team, not for the individual player. And um, officials aren't, officials are supposed to signal to the side if it's a violation or not. And it's sometimes a gray area. So, you know, play can continue a bit without anybody gaining possession of the ball. Uh, and then there could be a loose ball pushed by somebody that's not a face off violation. So the officials are supposed to look at the scores table and signal if it's a face-off violation or not it is easy to lose track of that or not see it because the officials aren't great about it that's not going to be your fault but you'll Mm -hmm. notice on the third one if they now all of a sudden have called a a, a thrown a flag you'll realize it's the third one and uh there's um and that's about it on face-offs right the uh yeah, so
0: the the big thing there is Jerry used the example of him committing two face-off violations and then me coming in and, and, and committing one, and it's a team penalty. It's a team penalty even if Jerry commits all three of the violations. So it doesn't matter if it's three different guys or one guy three times. Um, it is a team uh, penalty, and we have a question in the chat about that
2: It's, team served, penalty. By the, it's served by the person who committed the, the penalized face-off violation, So Unified committed the first two and Ernie commits the third. Ernie serves that penalty. And then for the rest of the half, every face-off violation from there is another 30-second penalty, and it resets for the second half.
0: Yeah. So, again, any face-off violation uh, that becomes time-serving, it doesn't matter who's in the box. It's a team penalty. It's credited against the team. So An individual will serve it. Somebody asked if it was the in-home or the face-off guy. It's the third face-off guy who took the penalty who will serve it but it does not count against as a penalty against that individual.
2: And then there's um, some other there are some other things. One is if somebody scores a goal with, you know, 1.1 seconds left in the quarter and they line up for a faceoff but nobody has possession of it when the horn goes off, then you don't enter the faceoff. That that doesn't count as a faceoff. It's not like a dead ball rebound or something like that. Um, and there there could be violations um Committed before they ever line up, those still count as face-offs. So, like delay of game on a face-off counts as a face-off. I counts as a face-off. So you would enter a face-off even though there wouldn't be one.
0: And no ground ball in that situation. Just a winning, Correct. Correct. just a winning person. Um,
2: and if so there's, sometimes you'll also see the the person who wins the face-off. Uh, for instance, you can't carry the ball in the back of your stick. Um, so if somebody does that, it appears that they won the faceoff, got a ground ball, you've entered the faceoff, you've entered the ground ball, and all of a sudden it becomes a uh, it becomes a face-off violation. That's not a turnover, that's a face-off violation.
0: Yeah, we have a good question here. If the scores table is marked down three face-off violations for a team and a half, of the referees signified to the table that it's the second violation, is it the responsibility of the scores table to stop the game and inform the referee? That answer is no. Uh, regardless of whether or not we think we're 100% right, whatever the officials are are going with is is the way you have to go. What you would need to do is at quarter break, halftime, whatever the case may be, try and figure out which face-off you have marked as a violation that they did not count as a violation. Uh, it's going to be one of three if you've gotten to three and they haven't. Um, what you don't want is at the, end of the boc- at the end of the game, you have a box score with three face-off violations and a half. And you've not had a penalty served, So you want to make sure that you get that corrected uh, before you before you move on and, and finalize everything with that game. Uh, so let's move on to shots and saves. Uh, one, thing so John, wanted,
2: one thing I just wanted to throw in, there is one situation, and I'm getting a little ahead of ourselves, but there is one situation where the scorer is obligated to tell the game officials. And that is in lacrosse, if you get five minutes worth of major penalties, you foul out of the game. Now I've been doing this since nineteen ninety. I've never seen anybody foul out of a game, but that it that does exist. That possibility does exist, and it's not five penalties. It's five minutes of major penalties. Now with like two and three minute penalties, it's possible. At that point, you are obligated to tell the official that hey, number twenty six has uh five minutes of major penalties.
0: That's a good point. Good good point there, Jerry. Again, if you have questions, please don't use the chat function in the uh, in the Zoom. Please go through the Q and A, um, so we can keep everything together uh that would be great um so we're okay. going to move on now to shots and also, this, saves and if one, we thing add, John... the
2: question, one thing the question says what if the ball goes out of bounds on a face-off um it is uh possessions given to the team that you know it, it, whatever team is touches awarded it, possession out, the other team gets possession and gets a face-off win. no ground ball no
0: ground ball that's the key yeah yes. just a face-off win John, now we will move on to shots and saves. I've been trying to get to you, brother. I'm with you. Uh, But John Stark is going to talk a little bit about shots and saves and how to properly uh, record those.
3: John? Thanks, Ernie. Um, Shots are pretty clear. You know, it's the intent to score. So lacrosse, it's a pretty easy thing to see. Um, They are generally at the goal. Uh, it's not like soccer. Sometimes where you get across. It looks like it may be going towards a the goal. Um, there is very much an emphasis and generally a big wind up to pull through and shoot. Uh, that's it's a shot like you, it's, you know, you know, when you see it kind of thing. Uh, saves are a different matter. Um, a save is any shot that the goalie prevents from going into the goal. If the goalie wasn't there, it would have been a goal. The goalie's there that's a save doesn't matter where it hits them if it goes off their foot their stick their own uh their helmet their chest any part of the goalie within the frame of the goal anywhere inside of that six by six uh, that's very important to note um, that's a save so <clears throat> probably a little bubble around that if it's you know close but Use your discretion there. If it's way outside, like this is the goalpost and the goalie's grabbing a shot over here, that's not going to be a save. We're going to call that probably a cause turnover and ground ball going back out the other way. Um, The one big difference in official scoring and game officials in terms of shots on goal is what we define as a shot on goal, which is anything that is a goal or a save. The officials define that for purposes of resetting the clock is off the goal post um so if I shoot and it goes off the goal post behind Ernie we're going to call that a shot 26 post and there's a command for that in stack crew um, to do that you'll see the officials reset it but at most places it's pretty clear when it goes off the goal uh, I know there's a Couple goals around the country that it's you don't hear the the ball come off. We're lucky here at the dome when it hits the goal post, every single person in the dome knows it. The whole goal rattles, you can hear it, they're mic'd up. Um, so, those are the big differences between shots and saves. Um, just because a goalie touches it doesn't make it a save. If somebody's throwing the ball flat across the crease to somebody on the backside and the goalie picks it off, that's not a save going to be cause turnover ground ball and then a clear going out the other way
0: yeah i think that's a big thing you, you see it in soccer a lot when you get a box score back and the other team had 15 shots and there's 13 saves not every cross is is a shot in soccer so it's not a save in lacrosse it's the same way if it's not on that goal they shouldn't be getting credited with a save off a shot now you can give them a little room if you can't really tell balls travel in 80 90 sometimes 100 miles an hour I couldn't tell if it was really going wide or not. If they reset it, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the goalie. If it's 100% clear that it is wide, they shouldn't be resetting the clock. Uh, and that would be shot 26 wide, ground ball, home or visitor, you know, for the goalie. Um, just like it would be if an attackman came up with a ball behind the goal, it
3: would be a ground ball in that situation. Um, one Sorry. One thing too is yep. you can shoot from anywhere on the field in men's Across. There's yep. no... You don't have to be just on offense. So a lot now we see teams running a 10-man ride where the goalie comes out and covers an attackman, leaving the goal open. If a defenseman at the other end of the field winds up and takes a shot at the goal with the intent to score, we're calling that a shot. Whoever the defensive player was, whether it was a goalie or a pole, shorty, whatever, we're going to call that a shot left, right, high, crossbar, post, goal, save if the goalie gets back and makes a, you know, a sprawling save. Um So you don't, you don't have to be on offense. It's not like, it's not a sport like field hockey where you can only score and therefore can only have a shot inside of the, inside of the um, arc. So you can sure. score from anywhere on the field in, in men's across. and any player can too.
0: We have a question here. Can a stick saved by a goalie, a shot that is saved by the goalie and goes right into his stick can be credited with a ground ball, a, a shot, save if you have a shot that is handled cleanly by a goalie it is it's a save it is not a ground ball uh there can be instances where if it's not handled cleanly and the ball pops out of his stick and it becomes some sort of competitive situation in front of the goal certainly you can credit a ground ball in that situation Uh, but if i just if i lob an easy one and jerry saves it jerry gets a save but not a save and a ground ball um, on that one do we, I'm going to hit a couple of questions here. Uh, maybe not necessarily what we've hit. Do we need a team line in our roster file for stats? Uh, yes, you do need a team line because there are instances where uh, team uh, stats are recorded. Um, as we, as we've noted on, um, you know, off violations uh, can be a situation there. So you do want to create a a person, so to speak, uh, as a team entry. And uh, I don't know how that works in Presto. I'm only speaking for Stack Crew, and I know Stacey, John, and Jerry also use Stack Crew, but that is very helpful uh, to have uh, in your roster uh, there. Shot blocked by defense. Always a block, or is there ever a team save? John, you want to hit that one?
3: Yeah, there there is a team save in men's lacrosse. It's a player that is behind the goalie um, that makes a save. It doesn't get credited to that individual, uh, but it is a shot, uh, shot 26, and then team save. So I believe it's T in stack crew um, for that save. And if you look at the bottom, it'll show the entry commands as well. So if there's ever a question, most of the time, the really high level stuff for stack crew will be right across the bottom for results. But yes, there is. If it's in front of the goalie, uh, if I'm the goalie, and Ernie steps in and soaks a shot. It's going to be shot, visitor, um, block. If Ernie is behind me and I'm out trying to play the ball, and someone scoops it up and comes in, Ernie comes in and makes a save. Um, shot, visiting team, uh, team save. Yeah, the They're one thing team. about that,
2: though, the defender has to be in the crease. So if the defender's out of the crease, it's not. It's not. Yeah, and it's not like yeah. field hockey where you enter the number of the player who had the save. It's just a team save. And the, and in that situation, um, if he's out of the crease, the defender gets a ground ball in addition to the shopping blocked. All right. Great. So let's, let's
0: move on to uh, another tricky one uh, has changed through the years, and that is clears. Uh, and we'll have uh, John just kind of walk us through again, kind of the way that those are. Are statted. I know that that can be a a challenging one uh, on the men's side.
3: Yeah. So clears are a really important metric for showing going from defense back over to offense. And the one key factor in that is where that possession starts. Um, It needs to, the ball needs to travel below the defensive restraining line to begin a clear. So from a face off if your guy wins it out to the wing and you get back on offense there's no clear there but if your face off guy goes backwards passes it to the goalie below the restraining line and then you come back up the other field that is now starting to clear. Um there's three ways to satisfy a successful or unsuccessful clear. Uh possessing the ball below midfield where after 20 seconds have elapsed on the shot clock. So we all now have big game clocks that show shot clock. So anytime that is below 60, um, if you complete a pass to a teammate, that is going to satisfy being a clear. And if you take a shot, uh, that is also going to satisfy a clear as well. And I think those are the the really big parts of that. So again, it's got to start below the defensive restraining line and then come back out so when you're entering that in stack crew um, you're going to hit l and you're going to start the team and then if there's a turnover there's already the turnover function built in there so you can just hit t and it'll start your turnover process whether that's a pass it's out of bounds or somebody gets pushed out of bounds and then you're giving cost turnover i believe we touch on turnovers and cost turnovers down the road
0: we do, Jerry, Stacy. Anything else of note on clears that you wanted to point out? I know that uh, they seem simple, and then you start scoring them, and, and chaos can uh, can ensue.
2: I mean, the the clearing rules have changed so much in the last few years that the clearing stats don't tell you what they used to tell you. But for now, that's that's the way they're kept. Yeah, the one big note for the uh,
3: for some of the. People that have been scoring for a while, just because you touch it into the restraining box on the offensive end, that's no longer satisfying that unless it's below twenty seconds or you pass to a teammate that's below that as well. Um
2: not the restraining line. The, stra- the restraining line has nothing to do with nothing to do, it's just midfield now. Right. Midfield line. Yeah. You can go across midfield and come back as many times as you want in the first twenty seconds of a possession. So sure.
0: The other thing, and we do, we scrimmage the other night, and um, I had my two students with me to kind of get them back in the flow. In the middle of a clear, you can start to have ball on the ground and ground balls awarded. You have to try and figure out what's the best way for you to record that. We usually escape from the clear, and like if if, if I'm clearing, I pass it to Jerry, it gets checked away from him, and then a scramble ensues, and then Jerry picks it up, and we want to credit him with a ground ball. I usually will escape from the clear, give him the ground ball, and then restart the clear. You just have to figure out what works best for you uh, in order to kind of like get yourself through that situation. Um, but clears can be, especially if a team is ten manning, um, it can it can get a little hectic down there for sure when they're when they're riding like that. Um, let's talk a little bit about penalties and extra man goals, um, Jerry. Uh, if you want to just talk a little bit about how you how we administer those uh, multiple penalties at once. And uh, I'm, I'm sure Stacy, John, and I have some some things we could chime in on here as well.
2: So uh, to try to be as quick as possible, obviously, if one team has more players on the field than the other because of a penalty, they're man up. So it's an extra man situation. Um, if it's a non releasable penalty, then you you can get credit for more than one extra man opportunity, depending on what happens. So if you have a two minute non releasable penalty and you score a goal. 40 seconds into it, that's going to become a second extra man opportunity, whether or not you win the face off to get the ball back. So you can uh, get the penalty. You you can score off the penalty, lose the face off. You're still playing man up. So, uh, and if you score three goals, you could have four man up opportunities on the same one. Um, Where it gets tricky is um, with both teams having penalties. So if both teams are penalized, that's not a man up opportunity. If one team is penalized and then penalized again, that's not a second man-up opportunity unless the first penalty ends before the second one, in which case it becomes a second man-up opportunity. It's sort of common sense. I hope that's not confusing the way I'm explaining it. Um, If one player commits two violations and gets two penalties, that's different than if one player... Uh, if two players commit one penalty uh, one penalty each, two players who commit one penalty each, that's one extra man opportunity. One player committing two is two extra man opportunities. Um, make sure you credit extra man goals. You can score, be credited with an extra man goal even after the penalty time is up. If the defense has not gotten back into the play, that is the score's discretion. So you'll be seeing, you know, number 33 is released from the midline and he's trying to get back into play. And the other team scores before he gets anywhere near the play, even though that he was back on the field, that still could be considered an extra man goal. Also, there are man down goals. So be aware of that. It's easy to forget that because, you know, there's a penalty and it clears and now you forget that the other team is still a man uh, up and then the other team scores. You have to make sure you credit that as a man down goal.
0: Yes, yeah, so there's a lot of moving parts with penalties and extra man goals and how you score all of those. Um, I was answering a couple in the chat here, um, just one-off questions. But one of the things, at least in Stack Crew, and again, I don't know how you do this in Presto. Um, John commits a three-minute non-releasable penalty, and we score a minute in, and we now have extra man for two more minutes. At the end of the three minutes, you're going to determine how many extra man opportunities are to be awarded in that situation. Because if you score one minute in and we have the ball for two, more, or if we score one minute in and we have the ball for two more minutes and we score again, we're not going to be two for one. We're not going to be three for one. You're almost always going to end up with at least as many opportunities on a non-releasable penalty as you have goals. And in many instances, you're going to end up two for three, three for four, if there's extra time left at the end of that, after you score your second, third, whatever goal in a three-minute, even one-minute non-releasable penalty situation, if there's enough time to have successfully gained possession or a possession was available to you, um, you're going to end up one for two, two for three, three for four, so to speak. One thing you should know in that situation, if it's a a one-minute non-releasable penalty, And we score at the 41 second mark and there's a face-off and we don't win it. It is not one for one. It is one for two. Just because we didn't win the face-off doesn't mean we didn't have a chance to win the face-off and your coaches will push back on this hard, but it is, um, anything above 10 to 12 seconds, that is you're probably crediting your team or the other team with an extra attempt that is going to be a fail. Um, that that can be a point of contention with coaches, just so just so you know. Um, we did have a question here I wanted to get to real quickly. Um, are our clears tracked while a team is shorthanded? So that's a great question, actually. So if if I, if I have an extra man opportunity, we shoot, John's goalie makes a save and they start to clear. If they clear it successfully, it is a successful clear. If we ride back and they fail to clear it, doesn't count as a failed clear it does count as a turnover but you're not counting it as a failed clear it's kind of like i equate it to like icing in hockey if you're short-handed you don't get you don't get called for icing uh it's a little different than that but that's the closest analogy that um that i can come up with um where can we find what penalties are releasable and non-releasable? That's a that's a great question. The officials will tell you immediately if it's non-releasable. Uh, if it's a non-releasable penalty, they will communicate that to the scores table. Um, you you may or may not know, but a lot of times uh, they will tell you. It, it, they're all non-releasable until you're. They're all releasable until you are told they are non-releasable. Is probably the way that I would best uh, uh, best determine how you can figure
3: that out you'll see the officials on non-releasable penalties they will give the safety sign they'll put their hands up over um over their head to let everyone know that that's going to be a non-releasable That's true. Penalty. Yep, penalty. Uh,
0: um if there're another question if there are only a few extra seconds on a non-releasable penalty then no emo. If there's a 1 minute non-releasable penalty if we don't score until 56 seconds that's going to be one attempt. Because even if we won the faceoff realistically we did not have an opportunity um you know to score again um and there's always those caveats. I will say this: 55 seconds in, we score a goal. Probably most times, I'm not crediting us with another attempt until our faceoff guy wins the faceoff cleanly and runs down and scores and takes a shot, and then I have to credit us with another one because he got a shot off. So you're, there's always uh, the gray area uh, involved in there. Um, Stacy, how about we hit? Uh, and I know we're we're at 2:50, so we probably have about 15 minutes left. But this is uh, this is great stuff. Stats with a flag down. Like you just touch on that real quickly for us.
1: Sure. So um most of your offensive stats will count. Um, the only defensive stat that you can give is a save. Um, if I have the ball and Jerry checks it away from me and picks it up, he does not get a cause turnover. I do not get a turnover. Um there's no ground ball because I have, I still retain the ball because of the penalty. So if you can kind of keep that in mind, um, that will help you. Um, turnovers and cause turnovers, cause turnovers is probably one of the most misunderstood, misstated. That's not really a word, but I'm going to make it a word today. Um, stat that we have, it's not a checks and balances. Just because you have a turnover does not mean that somebody forced a turnover. Um, there's got, you have to uh, deserve a turnover. Um or excuse me, a cause turnover. Um, Just because I'm face guarding you doesn't, and I chuck the ball away, that doesn't necessarily mean that I get a cause turnover. So just be careful with that. Um, We've seen some really crazy numbers in terms of cause turnovers, um, which kind of leads me to believe that um, people maybe don't understand um, the rule. But again, Just because you have a turnover does not mean that there has to be a caused turnover. Um, I can't remember. Do we have shot clock stuff in here? Um, One of the things with the shot clock, if it's running down and you often see um, a player just roll it into a corner um, to let the time just go because they can't get anything off. Um, it is a turnover it is a team turnover it does not go um to the kid that rolls it in the corner chucks it in the corner um, for those purposes that's and done if on you're a, ahead, if you're
0: James. scoring that correctly you're not entering it as a turnover anyway at least in stack crew and again I apologize I don't know the code in presto you're going to enter V for violation and it's not even and it's going to ask you for a team it's not even going to ask you for a player number in that situation so as long as you're scoring it correctly the option to give it to a player wouldn't even exist it would just be a team entry on those shot clock violations um that's a good a good point there
1: Um, it's a very good point because you don't want to double up on number of turnovers you're giving any one team for that uh, for sure um
0: no, i want to jump back real quick. Somebody asked the question about extra man. I want to go back in it. No extra man when leading team has advantage in final minute of a game and does not attempt to score. Um, that is correct. And there's no set time on that. It's not if it happens in the last 20 seconds, in the last 10, in the last 40. If in the score's discretion, you determine that uh, you're winning by four, your team draws a penalty, and you're just killing the clock, by all means, we, we don't penalize the offensive team for making no attempt to go to the goal or shoot until the guy on your third midfield decides he's going to take a shot. Um, and as soon as he does that, then it has to be. So if you make an attempt to score in any way, it has to count as a, an attempt. But normally, if you're just running out the clock, no, you would just change the Y to N and change that. Um, real quickly on extra mans, one other thing in stack crew, people have, have asked us all through the years is you have a penalty at the end of the first quarter, they hold the ball. There's no face off in the second. And the penalty actually um, really kind of takes place in the second quarter. Uh, when you get the code to enter the penalty, you're going to hit Y for extra man normally. Instead of hitting Y, hit plus. And if you hit plus in that situation, it will record the stat in the second quarter and not the first. So you're not going to see on your box score one for zero in the first quarter uh, and or zero, whatever. However, I guess it would be one for zero, but it will count. It will record the stat in the second quarter uh, for you uh, for those penalties that carry over.
2: One thing about one thing about extra man and what Ernie was talking about with uh, not having it count as an extra man opportunity, that only can happen is if the defense is not pressuring. So if the defense, if you're if you're up by one and there's twenty seconds to go and you're trying to run the clock out and your man up and the other team is chasing you all over the field, that's an extra man opportunity. The defense has to be passive. And the other thing is it can't happen at any other point of the game. So if you're up by four, you know, they're up by three and there's four minutes to go and you get a man up and you just want to kill the time that still counts as an extra man opportunity.
0: Um, again, I know we're getting tight on time. So let's hit a couple more of these uh, quickly. So uh, using video after the game or the next day, Jerry, you want to just hit on that quickly for us?
2: Yeah. So uh, when I started and nobody had video, everybody would come, would say the next day Well, my coach said we should have three more ground balls and four more saves and you know, that's great. But, I'm not changing the stats. Now, if somebody says to me, we we should have two more saves, I will say to them, show me on the video where, you know, show me uh, uh, where in the game you think you should have more uh, saves and I'll go back and look. And it's one thing if we credited number 11 with the assist and it was really number 17, but we got the number wrong. That's an obvious change. It's another thing when you get into judgment calls, especially things like ground balls. Was it a cause turnover? Did he never have possession? Uh, you know, those kinds of things, and, and also shots and saves, it's up to you. Now, I know this is tough. If you're just starting out and you're in your early 20s, and the coach is coming to you saying, change the thing, we need two more saves. Uh, but you have to say no, you know, I'm the scorer, and in my discretion, there wasn't a save, and we're not changing it. But you can go back and change it if you feel that there's compelling video evidence. You can't do it four months later, you have to do it in a reasonable amount of time you want to define reasonable as 24 to 48 hours. Okay. Um, but you can use video to help you, um, step one thing. And I I, I apologize, John, if you said this, but on clears, a lot of teams now are taking shots from the other side of midfield. Uh, Mm -hmm. if a team is 10 Manning and, um, if you take a shot and it doesn't, if you take a shot and it goes wide or it goes in, but you think it's a shot from the other side of midfield, you have to give a successful clear and you have to give a shot. Um, it's a it's, it's something we're talking about on the rules committee about whether or not that should be legal to shoot from the other side of midfield. But uh, for now that counts as a shot and a successful clear, even if it's a shot that the other team is backed up. So you lose possession, you still took a shot. So it still counts as a successful clear.
0: Yeah. That's the key. Even if the other team gets it, it's not a turnover. If you've determined that's a shot and the other team backs it up, once you record shot, there's no turnover there. Uh, if the goalie or a defender on the other team backs it up, um, couple of little random points here, recording accurate times for goals and penalties. So we had a question early on. How do you handle when plays get chaotic and fast and you miss something and make a mistake? Do you move on and find it or fix it later or try and adjust when you can in the moment? One, I would keep up with the play. Um, I would keep up with the play as much as you can and just note, you know, always have, you know, paper with you. Ground ball home 26 at, you know, the 11 minute mark. The one thing about lacrosse is 99% of the time, no one's going back and looking at the play by play. So if you're a few seconds off when you go back and just manually enter that, that's okay. Um, If you miss a turnover, cause turnover, and you have your video stream, you know you can go back and get it. Um, I wouldn't focus so much on who had that cause turnover and miss four things going on in transition. I would get the things going on in transition. Ask somebody in the press box, hey, I need that defender's number behind the goal. I can't watch right now. And they'll mark it down, and you can go back and add that later. So keep up with the play. And then you can always go back in and and enter those things um, later. And if you're a few seconds off again, nobody for the most part is using a play-by-play in lacrosse. That said times for goals and penalties should always be recorded by what happened, what is on the scoreboard at the time. Those, those two things should have an accurate time marked um, on in your box score. So make sure those two things are always recorded uh, correctly. Um, Goalie changes. Um, Recording the time, uh, whenever you have a goalie change, Stacey hit on that earlier, I think. Watch timeouts, watch end-of-quarter situations. Sometimes teams have, especially if you're uh, no visiting SID, sometimes teams will have a goalie that comes in uh, in man-down situations or end-of-the-game situations when they are going to chase. They may use a different goalie. You always have to have a goalie on the field, even if they're on the other side of midfield.
2: Um, Jerry, empty net goals, your favorite. There are none exactly there are no empty net goals in lacrosse your goalie can come out of the the rules say that somebody on the field has to be the goalie so you have to have a goalie on the field at all times if you're down by a goal there's 40 seconds to go out of a timeout you could put the goalie on the other side of midfield and play with seven defenders you know seven non-goalies on the on the defensive end if they break free and they're uncontested to the goal and they throw it in a goal it still counts against the goalie it's unfortunate but those are the rules. There's no empty net goals in lacrosse.
0: Uh with that, how about own goals? John, when would you decide a goal was an own goal compared to when a goal was
3: uh not an own goal? I mean there <laughs> it's a play where the defender throws the ball back into the goal. Uh they're pretty rare for lacrosse. They do happen sometimes in clears if a defender is throwing the ball back to where they think the goalie should be and the goalie's not there and it goes in. Um, It's going to be an own goal. So that goes in is shot, visitor team, team. team. There's no, there's nothing. It's not the closest person to it, or it's not the last offensive player to touch the ball. It just goes in as team. There's no shot credited. And Sacker knows that too. Um, But you do have to start it with the shot and then you just put in team, put
0: in team as the, as the entry, um, yeah, so if I if I take a shot um, and Jerry is a defender in front of the goal and hits off Jerry, as long as the momentum of the shot is what propels it into the goal, I'm going to get that goal. The defender has to literally like play throw the ball back uh, into the goal for it to be a, uh, an own goal. Um, overtime ending a game, games go to overtime, and um, you know we're playing Syracuse and they score one minute and forty two seconds into overtime. When you end the game. And I cannot say this for Stack Crew, so I'm not sure exactly, I mean, for Presto, when you end the period, the period ending time should be how much time is on the scoreboard. So 234 left in the first overtime or 311 left in the second overtime. If you just end the period at zero, it's going to make it a 64 minute game for a one overtime game, a 68 minute game for a two overtime game. And that's going to mess up your goalie minutes played. And it's going to you know have an effect on their goals against average. So you want to make sure that the end time of the game in overtime is whatever time is on that scoreboard. Um, goalie should play sixty one thirty two, not sixty four minutes if the game ended one thirty two or whatever the case may be uh, into overtime. Um, talked a little bit about hectic plays. A, a suggestion, just um, we use students a lot to input. I do use my assistant a lot as well, but we use students. And what I try and do is, when I call, I try and almost like slow down. They can only input so quickly. Um, I know things are happening quickly, but be try and be deliberate in your call. You're watching the play; they probably are not. So give them a chance to keep up with you, and and just be deliberate in your call. If they tell you they missed something, um, again, hopefully you have a person there that can jot something down, or you can jot it down. You can always go back and reinsert a ground ball, a cause turnover, um, you know, whatever the uh, whatever the case may be. Someone did ask a question about a sheet that apparently existed a few years ago that had a description of the differences in the different stats for men's and women's across, where it might be the same name, ground balls, for instance. Um, I am not familiar with that sheet. Are any of you guys familiar with that sheet, like a cross-reference sheet between the two? I apologize. Whoever asked that question, um, I would call out your name, but... um, we have a lot of anonymous attendees, so I'm not sure exactly who uh, who it was. But uh, I don't have an answer to that question. I would say just familiarize yourself with both stat manuals as best you can to figure out the differences in those key stats um, that we have. different. It looks on. like somebody, Ernie,
3: may have put that in the Q&A um, uh, stat uh, sheet that goes to um, the Eastcom. It was Jill. Uh, yep. Oh. <laughs> Well, two feet behind Uh, Ernie, she is right behind door number two over here
0: (laughs) in my uh, in my office. So I'll grab that from her, and now I'll know about it. Um, Can you go over ground balls after a shot that goes wide? Are they given only on a change of possession or if contested? So that's an interesting one, Um, Jerry. Want you want to handle that one?
2: Yeah. So a shot that goes wide and goes out of bounds. There's no ground ball. Um, I think in women's there is right. Um, if the other team backs it up, just input
0: whatever tell, Jill tells me to input. I don't, I don't know.
2: <laughs> now, there's no ground ball given on a shot that goes wide and goes out of bounds. Uh, if I take a shot that goes wide and the defense is nearest to it, that that's not a turnover. There are people who think it should be a turnover, but it's not a turnover. Um, if I if I take a shot, hits the pipe, and rolls all the way back towards midfield. And i'm the only one you know somebody on my team's the only one there and they pick it up that's still a ground ball uh even if it's not contested in that case it's one of the few cases where if it's not contested you can give a ground ball
3: i think one thing that we touched on briefly with ground balls um on a cause turnover if you pick a pass out of the air if ernie's thrown to jerry and i reach up and i grab the ball i get both a cause turnover Ernie gets charged with the turn. So turnover Ernie caused by me and I get a ground ball. And if we're in the so defensive third, then we're starting a clear back out the other way. So important to note that if, if if you if you pick off a pass, you're getting a cause turnover and a ground ball. Yeah, ball does not have to be on does not have to be on
0: the ground to get a ground ball. That's a good point, John. Um there can be some confusion that, with that. Um, going all the way back to the beginning, um, how does lacrosse submit starters? Soccer has their paper, submit basketball as the official book. There is really no official form for lacrosse to submit your starters. Uh, you know, we, we go down to the field. I get the starters from the coaches, um, and, you know, we enter them into the stat program. We don't keep a book. We don't keep a score sheet. We do, we do nothing like we used to. Um, I think back when we all started, we still did some paper stuff back there or down at the table, but. Uh, you, there's no official form for you to uh, gain starters uh, from your coaches, just a roster sheet or a flip card or whatever you're using, and, and you take them up and, um, and record them that way. Um,
3: I think important to note with starters, too, when you're talking to the coach, is to find out who their in-home is going to be, um, if there are like a bench penalty or something where the in-home is going to serve that, because that's not going to get assigned to the player. That's going to be team, but somebody has to serve that. So good, good to find out who the in-home is.
0: Yeah, that's an important thing because there are uh, bench uh, penalties. There are reasons that the in-home is somebody that is identified to the officials. And when they identify a penalty as being served by the in-home, the biggest thing is to remember it is not a penalty on that person. You're in-home at the end of the season. Uh, it's going to be an attackman. Unlikely that they actually had 17 penalties for 21 minutes. Not impossible, but probably unlikely. So the in-home penalty is not scored against him. But he is the person that has to serve it based on the coach identifying him um, before the game.
2: Um, and this year, one of the points of emphasis for officials, and I don't know how closely they're going to follow this, but is sideline con- sideline conduct, and they're supposed to really be cracking down. So that could lead to more penalties for in homes.
0: True, good point, Jerry. Again, thank you. Um, so I know we've we've drifted a little bit past three. I feel like Stacy, John, Jerry, and I could probably talk about this for another hour, but. Uh, Um, Really appreciate it. We were up uh, near 150 and over 150 uh, people with us all through this hour. Um, Really think it was a great opportunity please look us up on our websites. If you have any questions um, at any point during the season, if something comes up, don't hesitate to email any of us. And if we don't have an answer, I'll email John, John will email Stacy, um, and then we'll all check with Jerry and make sure we have it right. So we'll uh, we'll make sure that we get everything um, answered. Don't be afraid to reach out to somebody on this panel um, or Ryan at Loyola. Always happy to help. Um, Before we so we again, up,
2: there's just one more question. Yep. Could we tell coaches that anyone with a significant number of starts is not eligible for postseason honors as a specialist? If, if for instance, your face-off guy is also in your first midfield offensively, which happens, doesn't happen as much as you used to, but it still happens, he'll get credited with game started, but he'll also be a face-off specialist. So that's fine. And then if you get the visiting starting lineup entered and we notice it's basically their face-off unit, should we try to correct it? Do this all the time. Uh, see this many times a year. Uh, we will just... Change the starters to their first offensive midfield group instead of the face-off unit. Personally, don't really care who we announce. Uh, well, actually, we don't even announce starters anymore. So we'll just change it to a uh, we'll just change it to the uh, first uh, offensive midfield and attack defense and goalie. But there's a lot of coaches that refuse to say who their first offensive midfield is because they're so wedded to uh, their starters or their face-off group. So that's fine. I'm not fighting any coaches on the field about starters before the game now. all
0: right well one, I, I'd like to, to to bring us to a close here. I want to thank um John and Stacy and Jerry uh, for for serving on this panel today. It, again, it was time well spent as we prepare to start our seasons. Um, I hope all of you who tuned in uh, really gained a lot and again please um you know please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd like to thank Maria Barb and will from CSC as well for putting this together. Um, really a great opportunity for us in Lacrosse um, to do this again, this webinar will be available later today on demand on the CSC website, as well as the YouTube page. Um, please check the college sports communicators.com for updated information on what's on tap in terms of CSC programming and continuing education. They're doing a great job trying to help us do our jobs. Let's take advantage of the services that they are um, presenting, not just in sports statistics and, and sport webinars, uh, stat rule webinars. Um, but they'll continue, uh, with those, um, through the spring Next up on uh, CSCU committee, we'll have an emerging professionals uh, webinar Um, that'll take place on Tuesday, February 6th at 7 p.m. So I encourage everybody who's just getting started or younger to please take advantage of that opportunity. Um, Look forward to talking to all of you through the season. Good luck as your seasons begin. And thanks again for joining us.